So I put all my heart and soul to the extent of my family suffering. Oh, yeah, I regret it very much. Association football is the most popular outdoor sport in Britain. Thousands play and millions watch the game. Keenest of all are the youngsters, whose heroes are the famous professional footballers, and who dream of the day when they too, perhaps, may wear the colours of a famous club and hear the roar of the crowd. Hello and welcome to another episode of Under Flat Caps and Bowler Hats, brought to you by Man Marken. My name is Dan Reed, and as you know, during these episodes, we take a look back at an example of mental ill health in football from yesteryear. But today, we're actually going to be doing something a little bit different, and we're going to be featuring a footballer who is widely regarded as the greatest Austrian footballer of all time. No, I'm not talking about David Alaba, but Matthias Sindelar. As usual, I was joined by a special guest to help tell this story. Today's guest is named Avram Liebenau, and I started by asking Avram to introduce himself to you, the most important of all, the listener. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I currently actually work in uh, sort of threat intelligence, um, and I'm also a part-time student, but um, obviously I think like you and like a lot of people who'll probably be listening, um, football's really my first love and when I was at uni um, I lived out in Russia and I started writing quite a lot about football about football hooliganism um, and then I sort of spread that out to writing about football in Eastern Europe um, and that's really sort of how I ended up on your radar I guess. Yeah absolutely what did you what did you say you do as your as your is your day job threats I work in I work in cyber intelligence basically. All it's right, not amazing. It's, yeah. So it's is that like um cyber hacking and that type of thing? This is completely off topic already. I'm just I'm just curious. Yeah, this is <laughs> no, this is great. I think this is super educational. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like about sort of um threats made online and sort of trying to assess like what's credible and what's not, I guess. Um yeah. uh-huh. before that though, I did work briefly, um, which I probably should have mentioned already, um, for uh, some quite famous YouTube channels. Um, I've worked for like full-time devils and stuff All right, uh, cool. who sort of fan channels, basically it's a yeah, bit of a yeah. throwback, but um, you know, I met Andy Tate. So that's, that's my claim to fame, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what Andy? So, so are you, um, are you United then? Avram, I'm you? actually an Arsenal fan for my sins. But <laughs> yeah. W- the less said about that, the better I reckon. <laughs> I think I've met Andy Tate somewhere along the line but didn't know who he was until somebody pointed it out to me later on that that's who it was I'm sure we were playing football and, and he was on the other team and then somebody said that was Andy Tate you know on the other team I was like was it <laughs> I had no he's, idea he's such a sweet man I think when you see him on the on tv and in the memes and stuff you think he's going to be um like really gregarious and loud and but he's actually just really shy and just loves Man United. He's such a nice guy. <laughs> You've always got to question people who love Man United, though, haven't you? I've got a few oh, mates. Oh, absolutely. Got a few mates who fall into that category, sadly. And um, yeah, always always questioning my allegiances to them, to be perfectly honest with you. But there you go. Um, so that's Avram. I should just say at this point, if you're sitting there and wondering who on earth is Andy Tate, 
This is Andy Tate. I just want anybody but David Myers in charge. Give it gigs it to the end of the season. Anyway, before I find myself going even more off-piste than I already have, let's crack on with Matthias Sindelar, the Austrian legend, leader of the Wunder team, defier of the Nazis. I came across Avram after reading his article in Kafka Desk entitled How Czech-born Matthias Sindelar Became Austria's Greatest Ever Football Player. So naturally, I began today's episode by asking Avram what drew him to write about a footballer who was born 118 years ago. Yeah, so this is kind of a a bit of a weird story. Like I said, I I sort of had this background writing about Russian football and specifically like football history and hooliganism history. Um, But all this kind of started out actually when my girlfriend started writing her dissertation about sort of social history of Vienna. Um, And one of the things that was really interesting sort of in that broad topic was actually talking about football um, because this was kind of the golden age of Austrian football and the star of that team was uh, Matthias Sindelar and he was so interesting um, straight away when you start researching him um, because he was really the first superstar footballer in the way that we see it now like we talk about Messi versus Ronaldo we see um, all these footballers in adverts and cameo roles in films and really, Sindelar was the first of the modern era to, to have that kind of superstardom that was given by football. And then there was a lot behind that as well. He has this very interesting but typical of the period upbringing, you know, an immigrant to Austria, technically from um, what, what, what is now the Czech Republic. And his life is the sort of thing that in the sort of academic studies that sort of me and my girlfriend were were doing at university, you just never hear about these people, you know, the sort of ordinary um, working class of Vienna who go on to make it great. It's it's such an appealing story um, that I kind of felt like, you know, I had had to write about it, I had to research it. um, And that's kind of how it all came about. Yeah, well, it, you wrote there's a there's a there's a quote from your article that says um, early early 20th century Vienna is characterized by the pastimes of its middle class and upper class residents. Uh, yet, uh, Matthias' celebrity status allows us a new window into working class lives, too often left out of Viennese historiography. I suppose then that begs the question: What would life have been like for for Sindelar and his family when they moved to Vienna? I think. This is a great question. And I, and I think that I have to start it by saying that a lot of the history books about Vienna at this time will, you'll find a lot of things about really highbrow stuff, you know, like art, um, Freud, history, uh, music. It's sort of a, a real intellectual golden age. It, if, if you read about it, um, especially from the, from the perspective of academic history, but working class people are often left out of that story and it's not that that characterization of of the city and of the period is is incorrect um you know that it was this golden age of intellectualism but it's actually that in the same sort of coffee houses that people would have been debating um music psychoanalysis they would also have been debating 
football. And that kind of mix um, was a really sort of fascinating reality of the period. And, and it's something that's not really addressed enough. Um, Vienna at the time was essentially a giant building site. It was expanding really, really quickly. Um, there was a lot of diversity in terms of the people who were living there. There were sort of big Jewish communities. There were um, working class people from all over the Balkans who spoke all kinds of different languages. Um, but it was also still like the center of an old empire, the sort of um, Austro-Hungary and, and the Habsburg Empire. So it was this kind of weird mix of like really, really wealthy, lavish buildings and, and, and royalty with this kind of more um, grungy building site, working class kind of vibe. And Sindelar came to that city or his family came to that city as laborers. And Matthias would have grown up on these streets around building sites. And when Sindelar lost his father, his father died in the First World War. Um, he had to kind of grow up very, very quickly in that environment. And again, this is kind of why it's so interesting with the modern parallel, because you hear about footballers who, who have come from nothing. And Sindelar really sort of was that. He came from nothing and became a superstar. Um, so life for them would have been qu really quite hectic in this very tumultuous and really rapidly changing city. And his, um, you know, you were talking there about the kind of contrast between the the, the the sort of grandeur of parts of Vienna and also with the sort of, you know, the, the sort of conditions of the, of the of the working class. And and he, by all accounts, was like kind of like a street football, like one of, the, you know, when we talk about street footballers and, you know, I think when people say street footballers in this country, I think they think of Gazza and Wayne Rooney and people like that. But in comparison, it's it, he would be like the true street footballer, wouldn't he? I mean, I did one of these episodes about Gaincha, the, the Brazilian footballer, and it was it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? That they, they, they would have kicked around anything that they could have found and played anywhere they would have been a, they would have been able to find to play. Yeah, absolutely, that's completely right. I mean, the sort of legend of Cinderella is that he was so good at dribbling because he had to evade um, carts, he had to evade. Um, trades people going down these narrow streets in this sort of strange building site type environment, um, running away from sort of police officers, nutmegging horses. Um, it was a real, it was a real street environment in which to try and make your own fun as a kid. Um, and it was clear to everyone, it, it seems that he was just so he was just so talented from such a young age, um, and that really came from that his his legendary dribbling ability, his strength, his sort of ability to almost a hazard esque like low center of gravity, um, is kind of directly from that street football upbringing that he had. And um, his sort of talent, his football talent that you talk about there, Avram, would have been a great mode of social mobility that, that probably otherwise wouldn't have been available to, to someone like him or to someone from, from his social standing. Yeah. And 
this sort of ties back into that point that I was making at the start about why he's so interesting, because he is the first sort of celebrity superstar footballer in this sense, because in that sort of picture of Vienna that I've, that I've tried to build, football wasn't an established industry. Um, it was still a largely working class game that was played with very little um, institutionalization. The development of the Austrian league was, was pretty, it, it, was, it was in its infancy. Um, but the social mobility point is interesting because obviously like he came to the city in a very sort of his family were, um, were laborers, his dad was a bricklayer and in all likelihood, that's what he would have ended up doing if he wasn't so good at football. But also, there's this strange, almost uncomfortable um, reality to it, which is that in the same way that now wealthy people have a way of distinguishing themselves in a football stadium, right? By like they sit in boxes, there are like posh ends. You know, you have hospitality sections for people who can afford it. In kind of the same way, when Cinderella started out, it was on rich people's terms, if that makes sense. It was on the terms of the upper classes. They were the ones who scouted the working class talent and they were the ones who sort of adopted that and institutionalized that. So in a way, he was, he was a trailblazer in that sense as well, right? Because he came from this very poor background, was elevated to this celebrity superstar status, but in amongst that, there were all these sort of other forces going on. Um, and at the end of the day, he still was a physical laborer, really. He was, he was a footballer, he was a sportsman. He sort of, his, his talent was, was in his hands and feet. You know, it wasn't like um, he became this great intellectual who was like a doctor or a lawyer or something. Um, so it's kind of interesting to think about the social mobility question in those terms, but you know, the, the arc of his progression is, 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 uh, is undeniable in terms of what his talent was able to give him. Yeah, absolutely. And he was, he was given the nickname, the, um, the wafer as well, I believe. And uh, at 21, he joins uh, Austria Vienna, which is obviously a club that's still in existence today, um, which has its roots in the, in the Jewish community. Why was that so significant? I suppose, not just to uh, the story at the time, but where the story goes in, in the future as well. Yeah, so this is so interesting. I mean, it, on the one hand, it, it shows the kind of diversity and sort of intersectionality that I was mentioning earlier about the fact that Sindelar lived in this sort of very um, fluid city with all these kinds of different people. Um, he, and uh, he, he kind of was integrated into Austria-Vienna, which at the time was, had a reputation as being quite middle-class, um, quite, it was the clever man's club, you know? It was the, I'm an Arsenal fan, it was the Arsenal of its day, you, okay? Classy, a classy outfit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll, we'll, uh, yeah, go on, carry on, Avram. <laughs> yeah, just let that slide. Um, we'll take that as given. Um, and, this probably probably this wouldn't have been that interesting a point, but for actually what happened later on in his life, because it created this kind of solidarity with the Jewish community, 
Um, and also it's interesting, you know, I, I have a Jewish background and it's interesting because in this period, all the, the thing that people want to talk about all the time is the Holocaust, which obviously goes without saying why people would talk about it so much. But it's also interesting that if we look a bit before that, um, you know, there were thriving Jewish communities in so many of these cities. And, you know, Austria Vienna wasn't the only Jewish club. They had, there was Hakoa Vienna. Um, there were a few others as well. So it's, it's kind of interesting to highlight the sort of dynamics that were at play in Vienna, but actually the real relevance of it comes a lot later on in his life when Sindelar started getting into sort of brushes with the, um, uh, with the Nazi authorities after Anschluss. Um, so yeah, that's, but Austria Vienna was, was a very, very, it, it was really the sort of turning point for him. It's where he really made his name and, and made his career. And as you mentioned before, the, um, the Austria team at the time was the, you know, it, it, you know, we, I think in this country we hate to use the term golden generation for obvious reason, but you know, for, for, for Austrian football, it was a real, you know, high period, high sort of, you know, that the, the Austria's a, a, you know, a proud footballer nation, but it's never for, it's never going to be now that, you know, they're never going to be the best team in the world that, you know, just for the resources and size of the country. But at the time and for a period, they were arguably the best team in the world, weren't they? And it was a real sort of golden period for Austrian football. And the team was dubbed the, the Wunder team. And there's still a side that was talked about today as one of the all-time great international teams. What was kind of so significant about them as a team? So they had the sort of golden mix, I guess, um, a bit like Barcelona in 2008, right? You have the superstar manager, which was at the t for the Wunder team, it was Hugo Meisel. You've got the superstar player um, who was Matthias Sindelar. And then you've got this amazing sort of supporting cast of players and um, people like Josef Bikan, um, who were also sort of very talented. So it was this kind of perfect like confluence of events, I guess. Um, in terms of their sort of footballing style, I guess, they played uh, at the time what was a fairly established um, sort of 2-3-5 style formation, which now sounds mental to us, but um, it is the way they set up. And the idea was they kind of played with two players off each wing and what we would vaguely see now as a false nine with then quite attacking fullbacks. Um, and this system was fairly, um, it was fairly well established, but it, but it, this was sort of a, a very, a very effective interpretation of it. Um, and, you know, people have, Jonathan Wilson has a great chapter in his book about the team and, and about how they played. And, you know, that people say that they played a two, three, two, three, you know, just stuff that to us sounds crazy in terms of like formations, right? We're sort of four, four, two lump it up to the big man until about 2000 but um culturally as well they were really important because they united what wasn't yet really um a particularly unified country um austria had obviously been part of the habsburg empire it had been in this sort of union with hungary as as austria-hungary um so it was actually a very young country in its own right. And these sorts of, um, this sort of moment that this team was able to create 
um, in in the way that they played and, and the way that they excited people made them sort of hugely culturally relevant. And, and it elevated Sindelar as their star player to this kind of superstar status, you know, the star within a great team. And he was advertising baby milk. He was on, ad, he was on sort of advertising hoardings left, right and center. Um, it, was, it was a big moment for, for, for what was a young nation state in, in the modern sense. Yeah, it's 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 it often seems like when the which is I mean it's 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 a bit of a difficult concept I suspect for most people who are sort of from from this country to kind of you know think about because it's it's not something that's that's relevant to us in any kind of local you know recent historical sense for for, for people who are from England but in terms of establishing a bit of an identity isn't it for a nation and and you know something that unites unites people together and I think football for, for, for lots of countries does that doesn't it in terms of kind of representing a, a sort of joint ideal and then you kind of alluded to it before Avram, but in, in 1938 everything began to sort of unravel for for Sindelar and for the Wunder team and could you explain to us when you refer to the Anschluss what that was or and what kind of impact that had on both Austria and the team and also on Sindelar as a as an individual Anschluss was the it's it literally translates as union um in German but it was essentially the it was essentially Germany sort of taking Austria and making it a part of Germany um, and there's sort of historical debate on how willingly Austria entered into that union. Um, it's a contentious one, not 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 one for today. Um, but after that, um, Austria was effectively subsumed into Germany, and, and that led to Austrian professional football essentially coming under the control of the Nazi sports office. Um, it meant that ideology suddenly became a much, much bigger part of football. Um, you know, Nazi ideology was obviously forced upon the players and, and the clubs. Um, the Austrian sort of top division was replaced with what's called the Gauliga Ostmark, um, which is a just such a horrible name for a football league. Um, and from there, um, Austrian sort of footballing sovereignty, I guess, just gradually started to crumble. Um, and Sindelar, with his close relationship with the Jewish community through Austria Vienna, um, was increasingly quite sidelined. Um, he himself uh, protested as well in his own way um, about about the sort of Nazification of football. Um, and Austria were effectively banned from having um, a national team. The Germans, the German Nazi sports office tried to encourage, um, sometimes through coercion, um, the best of Austrian football to come and play for the German national team. So there was a kind of brain drain of footballing ability. Um, and it really was was the beginning of the end for Sindelar, really, because he lost his league, he lost his team. Um, and he lost his club because Austria Vienna came under um, immense pressure from the Nazi sports office. So it was a really, um, a really sad end for 
that sort of golden age of of Austrian football. And then there was, by all accounts, quite a significant match played um, between Ostmark and and Germany that some may some say may have played a role in in the end of Sindelar's life, don't don't they? Yeah. Um, this I kind of like to think of as like a game of FIFA where one player is just so much better than the other. Um, and Sindelar was, by all accounts, uh, there's some debate, by the way, as to whether or not Sindelar even wanted to play in the game. Um, but he, in the end, relented and, and he played for the, for the Austrian team. And he dribbled past five, six, seven players, stopped the ball on the goal line and kind of rolled it in with his head. Uh, the, the, it was it, not literally that, but it was the he was just showboating the whole time. Um, again, Jonathan Wilson has a great summary in his book about um, the way the game pl- panned out. And Sindelar just showed no respect um, in the eyes of the watching Nazi officers towards the German team. He was showboating. He was looked aloof. And it was taken as a real sign of disrespect that he was unwilling to play the game on the on Nazi terms. And historians think, and and people who have looked at Sindelar's life also think that this game was a possible turning point in in the way that he was perceived. Again, in the context of his status, right, like. Ordinarily, this wouldn't be that big a deal, but this guy was such a celebrity um, that it was a real, a really significant moment, a really significant show of dissent from him to act in this way towards his overlords, effectively. But it was a, it was a really, really virtuoso performance by Sindelar by all accounts I mean he just was the best player on the pitch by a country mile and he knew it it was um I think it's especially interesting when I um you sort of read that story in the context of one of the sort of big kind of uh you know big big claims by the by the Nazi regime is is obviously around the Aryan race and their, their sort of physical prowess and they try to a lot of the times show that through sport didn't they in their sport and achievements and for somebody who was who had links with the Jewish community to turn up and just completely take the piss out of them on the, you know on their own pitch basically must have been you know it must have been a massive fu mustn't it to the to the sort of Nazi regime at the time definitely it was a sort of big it was yeah it was a sort of two fingers up um and it, and it was also his way of protest in a way i mean this was how he thought he could best um express his grievances and and how he especially toward the late towards his later career um became really resentful of of what had happened to to austria vienna and and the jewish community who i said as i said he had this quite close affinity to based on his sort of early footballing upbringing. And then sort of about a year or so later in, uh, in 1939, uh, Sindelar and his, his girlfriend at the time were found dead in their apartment. And there are kind of various sort of explanations and rumours and stories about what happened to him. And, you know, it'll never be 100% sure what actually did happen. But would you be able to talk us through some of the sort of 
you know, the rumours, the explanations that the people have put forward, there's the sort of three or four kind of quite credible ones, isn't there? Yeah. Um, whatever happened, it was pretty grisly. Um, the story goes that he was in a hotel room with his girlfriend and he was either suffered from carbon monoxide poisoning or there was a gas leak. Um, there's a a lot of myths surrounding the possibility that it was a kind of double suicide um, or there's the theory that it was it was murder by the Nazi authorities. Um, I should probably caveat all this by saying that no one really knows what happened. Um, and there is uh, there's a poem by a Austrian poet called Friedrich Torberg, where he sort of romanticizes the, the death of Sindelar and these sorts of bits of literature sort of fed into this um, mythical attitude, I guess, to the way he died. Um, there's people believe that because of his close links to the Jewish community, that people assumed people, the Nazi authorities, of course, assumed that he was Jewish. And after the game against the German national team, where he ridiculed essentially German footballing capability in front of a cr crowd of Austrians that he was murdered because of that. Um, there's lots of theories about how Sindelar wanted to die on his own terms, that he knew that he was eventually going to be killed or, or, or would eventually be imprisoned or, or tortured by the Nazis. Um, and there's a kind of theory that he wanted to, it was self-sacrifice, that it, it was that kind of almost noble sort of romantic poetry style suicide. Um, I think po possibly due to my own cynicism, but I think it's entirely possible that it was just a really tragic accident. Um, like I said, Vienna was a building site. It was, gas leaks were not uncommon, especially in these sort of unregulated buildings that, that were popping up all over the place in Vienna at the time. Um, but the reason it's been so enduring is because of his celebrity status, because of the story, because he was so young. A lot of people who looked at that as the way that he died felt like it was almost natural to romanticize it in, in the sense that, you know, it could have been something that it, that it maybe wasn't. So we just don't know, but it is certain that however he died and whatever theory is right and whatever people believe that the mark that this left on people at the time was strong. And again, this is goes back to the whole picture of Sindelar that's so fascinating. He was a celebrity. He was the first footballing, football player celebrity, um, not just in Austria, but but arguably in the world in in terms of the scale um, of his marketability and and his um, public status. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think, as you say, the the level of his notoriety obviously will fuel those rumors and stories and you know, without any definitive answer one way or the other. I, I, I kind of, I, there was a, I was reading online, there's, there's like a six month 
sort of investigation that was that was that was launched into his into his death, which was ultimately inconclusive at the end, which I thought was kind of kind of curious um, that it wasn't able to be established exactly what had happened to him. Um, which I thought that was quite interesting, really. But yeah, as you say. It, it's it, those type of the, the players like that and people like that from history are often kind of romanticized, particularly when there is a sort of mysterious element to to what happens at the end of their life. Um, yeah, and his kind of his kind of legacy lives on, doesn't it, in in Austrian Austrian football? Even you know, you're talking hundred years after he was born, he's still someone who's who's well known in in the in the in the sort of sort of pantheon of of Austrian footballers, isn't he? Yeah, and I have thought about this since the article and you know i i'm not austrian i do have german heritage but i'm not austrian so it's hard for me to really say why he's been quite so enduring i guess the easy answer would be the the point about his celebrity status and his great talent and you know the fact that he was part of a team in 1934 that actually came quite close to winning the world cup which if we think about for austria now would like you said at the start would be borderline unthinkable um but in 2004, they did a poll in Austria of their greatest ever football player. And Sindler, who had been dead for almost 70 years, won that poll. So it might be just as simple as he was so damn good at football. That's why he's been so enduring. Yeah, David Alaba's looking at that and thinking, oh, right, sound. I'll just put my Champions League medals down. <laughs> my multiple Bundesligas down and, uh, and just slowly exit the party. <laughs> you know what? It'd be interesting to see if Alaba wins it, actually, if there was another vote now or another vote in 10 years. Yeah. Um, because, you know, in terms of trophies, you can't argue with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think if, it, if the vote came up again, I'd have to find it and just repeatedly add new email addresses so that he didn't win it, just to see how fuming he'd be that a fellow who died like almost a hundred years ago <laughs> beat, yeah. him to, beat him to the beat him to the air uh, to the punch. Um, I think I'd vote for Stoke City legend Marco Arnautovic in, uh, in that vote. Yeah, absolutely. I mean Mar- Marco Arnautovic is yeah, I, I, my, my, like a bad memory of Marco Arnautovic always seems to be that, that like really weird period where he, where David Moyes seemed to get the best out of him, which just seemed like the oddest kind of two people who you would assume would never get on. Seemed to it just something maybe maybe Arnautovic hated Moyes so much because he was trying to get him to work harder that he thought right, well I'll just score a shitload of goals and then you might stop staring <laughs> at me in training. <laughs> <laughs> that's I the like, only I thing like I can that. think of that's the only thing I can think of um, Avram that's, that's all of the, the, the questions I wanted to ask you about that mate um, that was that was fascinating that was really interesting and I think it's that that period of history sort of the sort of very early 20th century when the, the, the whole world is kind of changing is that particularly sort of Europe and whatever is, is changing probably more rapidly than it had done for hundreds of years before it is is fascinating these these characters that come out of that that environment so thank you so much for for coming on avram and it was a it's an absolute pleasure speaking to you you know i hope you enjoyed it i hope you found it interesting and i hope that you know the listeners can can find something that they that they enjoyed in that i'm sure they will mate i'm sure they will so um yeah it's a great story and very well told mate very well told thank you appreciate thanks. it thanks avram have a good rest of your evening yeah you too mate take care cheers so that's the end of today's episode i just want to say thank you to you the listener as always for listening along with us today and a big thanks to avram for 
giving up some time one evening and speaking to me to put that together that episode it was a it was a real pleasure speaking to him and, and talking about uh, the life of Matthias Sindelar. It is a you know it's a tragic story, but it's also an incredibly interesting one and very informative as well about that sort of historical period of time as well. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us at Man Marking, you can find us on Twitter at Marking underscore Man, and don't forget to use that hashtag Where's the Talking Lads. If you want to listen to any other of our flat caps, under flat caps and bowler hats episodes, we've got plenty of those out. You'll find them in the same place that you found today's episodes. Our last couple were with uh, Hueys, Gallagher and Ferguson. So there's a couple you can go and get stuck into. Our most recent uh, interview on the podcast was with football coach Mark Joyce. So you can go and check that one out as well. And our next episode, our next interview is with the Paul Lavelle Foundation. So that's one that's definitely worth checking out. So again, thank you for listening. And I'm going to leave you with a little bit of a... A part of an article that was written by Jonathan Wilson some years ago about Matthias Sindelar and you know Jonathan Wilson has a really amazing knowledge of loads of different types of um, football loads of different parts of football history and particularly this sort of era is 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 you know a bit of an expert topic of his and he's really summed up Sindelar both his life and his death in this sort of quote here so I'm going to read it out to you it was Sindelar has become a cipher an empty vessel into which has been poured the preoccupation to the time what, after all, could better symbolise Austria at the point of the Anschluss than this athlete artist being gassed alongside his Jewish girlfriend? So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent of my family suffering. You regret that? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much. <laughs>